presented by Jason Bryan and providing the latest insights on telecoms trends from around the world. This is Rocco Radio. Welcome to Well Connected. And on this show, I speak with Stephanie Flurry, TV host for CNN Brazil. I first met Stephanie about 15 years ago while she was working for mobile operators like TIN, OI and Digicel Group. We worked together on global telecom standards and it was always so interesting to hear her point of view. But it was with a lot of passion and entrepreneurial spirit that Stephanie then became CEO and founder of the digital account Jinjin, which was in 2020 incorporated by Bits Bradesco, making her the first woman to sell a startup to a bank in Latin America. I was therefore really grateful that she accepted to be a Rocco 100 judge this year and share with me some of her wisdom about fintech, women in tech and her methodology on doing business in the digital age. People would say, oh, let's just put an innovation, a new area in the company and that's that. And that's not about that, right? It's about how you understand people as employees, how you understand people as customers, how you understand their journey, right? How they are buying, how they're consuming services and, and everything is changing. Well, it's a real pleasure to be with a colleague of mine for many years who I first met in the roaming world and it's Stephanie Flurry. Did I say your, your name correctly, Stephanie? Yes, you did. But you have more names now. What's your full name? Oh, it's a big one. Uh, it's Stephanie Santana Flurry Rassi. Wow. Okay, yes. awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me in this podcast. It's a real pleasure to, to speak to you again. And it's been a long time that we've been trying to connect to to have a podcast like this because for me you're one of the personalities of our industry which I wanted to get to know more than any so I'm really honored that you're you're here with me thank you so much for having me it was actually like uh, the greatest surprise of the year because it's been such a long time that we haven't been so close and I've left the industry for like uh, 10 or 15 years now so it's it's really a great opportunity to uh, review and, and leave uh, everything again so thanks again you're very welcome so what's your role right now what is your current job description so now I'm like a TV host, a CNN TV host. You know that uh, when I sold my fintech, it was actually a, a big buzz around because it was like the first time a woman uh, selling a, a startup to a big bank. Uh, actually, the first time to sell a fintech and I started up to a big company. So it was a big time here in Brazil, Latam and, and everything. So. I got a really uh, big PR buzz, right? And my wife was four years ago uh, at some event talking about diversity. She had on the panel other three people and one of those was, um, now she's the CEO of CNN Brazil, but back then she wasn't. She was CEO from another TV in Brazil. And she started following my wife and Instagram and when I saw the company, of course, Bruna, my wife, was posting and very proud and everything. So uh, this woman, she's called Renata. She kind of met me online, right? Was fond of my uh, story and everything. So when she moved to CNN to become CNN CEO in Brazil, they created this CNN soft because they have like the hard news and the soft news. So the CNN soft label. There are some TV shows around there and the idea was to have a TV show talking about entrepreneurship, innovation, uh, management, leadership and all those, uh, the, the gig and the new economy. So they invited me uh, in August. I accepted the challenge. I left my previous job and now it's like a, a new beginning, a fresh beginning to uh, learn, actually learn everything all over again. Now it's learn how to do TV, how to become an influencer because it comes together. You're taking a really public profile. That's a totally different lifestyle, isn't it? 
It is. And I was actually really low profile on my social media. Like I'm really a, a LinkedIn person and not really an Instagram person. But now I am becoming uh, an Instagram person uh, on the fact of not showing off, but actually influencing and sharing knowledge. You know, since I found that link that is sharing knowledge and influencing for the good side of everything I, I learned uh, by now, it's becoming uh, a pleasure, not a burden, you know. I never saw myself in front of the cameras. You know, I, I gave an interview this, uh, these days and someone actually asked me exactly that. And I was like, when I look back in my old days, like when I actually was a, a kid, like becoming a teenager or something, thinking, oh, what I'm going to do with my life, what I will I be and everything. So I would uh, look to the singers or actresses and everything, I always imagined myself on the backstage being like their manager. And so I never saw myself in front of the cameras, always uh, on the backstage. So now being in front is uh, a challenge, but I think uh, I'm really confident. You know, I, I, I know that I'll make mistakes and that's okay. What motivates me is it's bringing information to people outside of that bubble of whatever the new road is uh, being built, you know, because whoever is inside the bubble is building the world as it is now and as it will become uh, more and more and faster and faster. So just like another job, but with a big exposure and, and scalability in, in that sense. Wow. What a journey. It is uh, full of details that we will definitely share on this conversation. Yeah. Like, because I, my career was actually telecom, right? It was like 10 years going like from Brazil to Jamaica to the Silicon Valley and, and coming back and moving from operator to, to provider, uh, selling phones and services. And then when you stop and say, well, I think I want to change industries. It's just like all your experience means nothing, you know, because people are actually looking for always people with experience in specific industries. So I really had to reinvent myself. Since I remember being a child and definitely not knowing anything right about telecoms industry. And now I've ended up being in the industry 25 years. When you were a child, what did you what did you want to do? Jason, you know that it's one <laughs> funny thing. Is that when I was really young, my, my parents got divorced really early. So I was always traveling back and forth from my hometown, Goiânia, to Rio, where I moved with my mom when they split, right? So I spent many, many years of my life going back and forth. And I was uh, used to look like some uh, important people per se. I didn't know, but like just the fact that they were traveling alone with their suitcases and everything. Like I was like looking up to this and say, I one day I'll be traveling like as an executive and company will be like paying for me to go back and forth. Like this was in my mind as a child, you know, so I always looked up to be an executive. I just didn't know by then that could be my own company or I would be traveling and doing things <laughs> with, uh, like uh, employed by a big company, you know. And actually, it happened both ways. We met when I was in the roaming business, right? So it's because I used to roam <laughs> since I was a kid, <laughs> roaming around. When I first joined the telecom business, a lot of traveling, you know better. And it was actually, uh, uh, it's not like a dream come true, but like it, it was like, okay, this is what it looks like, what I thought since I was a child, you know, and it fulfills me really until today when I go on a plane. So I have a meeting or a conference or whatever, not only traveling by leisure, you know, but when I, when I'm doing that, I see myself, you know. When you were a child, did you go to university? I did. And it was, I was too young. Uh, I started university, I was 15 mm. and I graduated, I was 19. 
And wow. again, I always knew what I wanted to do. I, I just like selected one college specific and one course like business administration. And that was it. So and I passed the, the exam. Uh, I started at 15. I stopped like uh, six months. So I went to UK to study business English. Did uh, you really? I wow. did. I lived in Cambridge and Brighton. Great, great cities. Yes. Until today, I regret that I didn't go like six months before or something because I arrived in Brighton, I think one or two months, I I, I guess, like just two months after Fat Boys Lim with that concert (laughs) on the beach, you know, and I was like, I can't believe I missed it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this was like 2002. Then I came back. My English was like really, you know, like sharp. Then I went to an interview in Team Brazil for the uh, finance area, actually. And I didn't pass on that. And they called me and said, well, there is a spot here for a, a person with your profile on the roaming team. And I was like, Rome what? And <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what roaming was all about. I was like 19 years old. And I said, well, okay, let me get it started. And it changed my life, actually. Like, it was really a specific thing to do. Not not many uh, specialists in the business. Back in the days, we were, like, overlaying from TDMA to GSM. So go figure, like, how yeah. uh, specific it became, right? But I became a specialist on that as well. And that's actually how we met, right? GSM Association uh, events and involving, actually, myself with those themes. And I met a lot of people and definitely changed my life for good. For me at that time, when I met you and that you were, we were working together on GSM association standards, it was great actually to have a voice from, from South America because there was hardly any. There wasn't actually anybody who was giving that perspective. So I was really, really fortunate that you were there and you could bring some insights from the region because I think it's really important that we have this inclusivity, you know, when we're talking about how we're going to move forward the entire global standards. So I remember your contribution very well. Yeah. And you know that I didn't have the conscience, that conscience uh, back in the days, uh, maybe too young or maybe because nowadays we are talking more about inclusivity. Right. So back in the days, my perspective was, whoa, they are far uh, way ahead. So I have to bring this back home, you know. So and of course, uh, one of the things that, yes, I had the conscience back then is that I was part of building something that was being built as we were doing stuff. So all the barge meetings, all the negotiations and like we were actually the invisible people to the world that were actually building the telecommunications that we have today. And people will yeah. not, not know us, but like the fact that we know that we had like a, a, a small part on everything we do now, right? Like if you imagine like international roaming, how uh, it was really different back then. And everything we do today is based on the smartphones we use. So I feel really, really proud from those days. And actually my part was really small compared to yours, but <laughs> in any case, I feel proud. So what happened uh, after that? Because obviously you were working in Tim Brazil. What was your next step? Yeah. So when I was in Tim, I had a short uh, passage to Oi. But like two months after I joined, there was uh, this company called iMobix from Jeff Hunter. He contacted me through Marianne Shower, my first boss, my big mentor. And she has done some consulting to Digicel in Jamaica and she was pregnant, so she couldn't be going back and forth again. And she recommended me to Jeff. He contacted me and I was like 22 years old and I was like, you know what? Not married, not anything, nothing sticks me to Brazil or anything right now. So why not, right? Go to Jamaica. It was actually not a, a um, easy decision to make because we know like the first Google was Kingston, the murder capital of the world. 
so <laughs> at the same time you had like Montego Bay and Ocho Rios with those blue oceans and like I don't know how, but I did convince my mother to let me go because <laughs> how come you go like, but it ended up really well. It's another experience that definitely changed my life. I went to Jamaica for a three months contract, one or two weeks before actually leaving. And my dream was to live in New York. And I was like, you know, now I'm leaving Jamaica before coming back to Brazil. I'll just like go and spend some time and money in New York. But then I, I sat down with uh, the CTO back then and I was like just saying goodbye because he would used to travel a lot to other digital companies in, in the Caribbean. So we missed uh, each other many times. So we didn't actually see each other too much. But I, I was really uh, grateful to him, uh, Mario Assad, a great man, great visionary changed the way telecom business was uh, done also in, in, in the Caribbean, Central America, South Pacific and everything. I learned a lot from him. So out of respect, I sat with him and said, well, I don't know if he'll be here the next week or so, but I'm, I'm leaving. He interrupted me and said, no, you're not leaving. I said, yes, yes, I'm leaving. <laughs> My contract is ending and everything. And he was like, no, what can we do so you can stay? I said, Mario, I'm leaving. I'm going to live in New York. So, no, don't go to New York. And he said, well, okay, who do you want to bring? And the fact that I was already leaving, I had already spoken to Patricia Maciera, right? Uh, she used to work with me in, Romy, in the roaming team in, in Team Brazil. And I was already telling her, like, I'm leaving. Maybe you can come because they will need more people. When he said, well, what do you need? I said, well, I need to bring Patricia. Like, honestly, 24 hours later, she was hired. And then he invited me to lunch and said, Patricia is hired. Are you staying? And I was like, oh, my God, now I have to stay two years in Jamaica. <laughs> so that's how I stayed two years in Jamaica. And that is how Patricia went to Jamaica and never came back because she met her fiancé. And then they moved. Oh, wow. Yes. It, it all, that one changed her life in there because she met her, her husband. And they have two beautiful kids and they moved to some other countries. And now they are in Ireland. And that's down to your influence. Yes, well, all the merits to the couple, but yeah, I had a little bit uh, on that. After Jamaica, I joined Jasper Wireless. They were headquartered in the Silicon Valley, so I was actually coming back and forth from San Fran, uh, not San Francisco, they were like in Sunnyvale to Brazil. But uh, then my mom got pregnant and she was 45. And I did want to see my little brother come to this world and didn't want to be far from all that. So I decided to leave Jasper and live in Brazil and, and, you know, watch all that. I don't have one single second of regret on that. People think I'm crazy that I didn't surrender to the Silicon Valley magic, but uh, there's magic all over the world, right? So actually, uh, then I, I joined another company called Onda, Onda Mobile. They were like an Italian uh, manufacturer of, of modems, 3G modems. So I stayed there for one year and a half. But then actually I thought like the magic in the telecom industry had to be reinvented. I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to stay. I was like second guessing if I wanted to stay on the telecom business. So I actually started to say, well, what do I want to do with my life? And uh, entrepreneurship was a way that uh, I could see, you know. And that is actually when uh, I started building my own companies, which ended up uh, a fintech, but there's a way to that as well. I'd like to know how from telecoms you arrived to fintech as, as an option, because like you said, you, you had this massive transformation you, you'd gone from knowing everything about the telecoms world, at least from a roaming perspective, to to going to something that you didn't know anything about, to being an entrepreneur in the fintech space. What was the catalyst that made that happen? Yeah. So when I, I decided to, to stop with the telecom thing, because... When you go abroad, it's easy for people to call you abroad again. So I had several proposals to, to come back to the world, per se. But I, I, I'm really a family girl, so I wanted to stay home. But then I said, well, what do I like doing? 
all my birthdays were like really nice parties and events. So I was like, okay, I like events. So let me try to do like a, a beach volleyball or with a lot of uh, nice things at the beach and, and nice companies sponsoring and everything. So I, I did this concept of this event at the beach with a lot of nice uh, things going on during the whole day. But I, I had a doubt that if I liked events like for my birthdays with like beginning and endings or if I liked this as a profession, you know, I, I did it one event to test and it was magical and I fall in love with that. And so, OK, I like doing that uh, to make money as well, not just to have fun. Uh, so this, I found this company which actually has a link to the telecom world because I named the company with the Brazilian country code. <laughs> so the oh. company is called Plus 5.5. <laughs> so it was like Plus 5.5, like a, a marketing, right? And events. So I was doing that for like four years. I made a lot of money. I saved because I always save money. And I used to say that because that was what made possible to found my own fintech. But still, I was with the, this, this company, all good. And I felt something inside me that I needed to do in my life. I, not needed, but I was meant to do something big. Don't ask me how or why, but I, it was a feeling inside. So. I was happy. I was making money, but I was like, there was this thing, you know, like in there with all the events and everything. I, I used to travel a lot and organize like trips for, for my friends and family. And there's one day one person said, well, why don't you open a, a travel agency? And I was like, no, no. But then I was like, you know what? Why not? Then I opened also together with the five, five, uh, the a travel agency, but really small, like boutique to address like family and friends things. It didn't last too long. But it was perfect uh, because I, I considered it my personal marketing tool, you know, because I met a lot of people doing that. And there's no better way of meeting people than traveling. So I really I made really good friends. And that was actually how I came up with the fintech thing. I was on a Halloween party in New York uh, with uh, a friend and a friend of a friend. We were like spending $60 to go from Manhattan to Brooklyn plus 60 to come back and like, okay, 120. And the friend of a friend who was on the, the Uber with us, she was like, okay, I'm not paying this on my own. Please split. We said, of course. And she was like, okay, just Venmo me. And I was, what? Yeah, Venmo me the money. And I was, come again? <laughs> <laughs> Venmo, don't you have Venmo in Brazil? I said, no, can you please, please explain what's Venmo? And then she said, well, this is a, an app that you can transfer money to friends and family with a one click and everything. And those words were like music to my ears because the fact that I always planned trips and shows and everything to my friends and I always pay in advance uh, charge those people back was a nightmare in my life. So I was like, okay, that's a really nice thing. And it was also a social network. People would like and comment on the payments. Like, Jason, I fell in love with that. And then that feeling that something was missing in my life, just, you know, bling. I was, okay, I found the project of my life, what I'm going to do uh, for life now. So I came back to Brazil like November 3rd or something just after the Halloween. This was 2015. And I started searching, Googling, researching. Then I came, oh, Venmo is a fintech. Nice to meet you, fintech. I had no idea of the expression. I was always like a, a early adopter for many things, uh, like a kind of geek freak kind of girl. But but I had no idea what UI, UX, tech, LTV, VC. I had no idea of any of those. So I was an outsider completely. I was not Finn because I was not from the financial world. I was not tech because I had no, I, I didn't know any person who would actually code or develop or anything. I, I decided that it would be called Jinjing. I registered Jinjing, the, the domain, one month after. And the friend of a friend on Uber became my, my co-founder. I met her on the Uber dressing like as a spider woman. 
<laughs> That's how it all started. She would send me prints from Venmo and we would just like copycat, you know, they were blue and white. We were green and white. Uh, but the, the beauty of all of it is that, of course, it was a, initially a copycat and I'm, I'm not ashamed of, of saying that. But when we brought it to Brazil, the problems we, being solved by Venmo in U.S. was one. And there was no market for Brazil to that one. We had to pivot. So it was just a way to start. And then we had to do like a lot of pivots, a lot of changes. I fell in love with another problem, actually, serving the bank and unbanked. Then you start searching and, and, and studying a lot. And I also involved myself with the association. I actually founded and was the first woman director on the first group of directors of the Brazilian FinTech Association. Building from scratch, and I would remember my old days on the GSMA, you know? Yeah. And, and how did you connect to the unbanked then? How did you get through to them or recognize even that there was yeah. a community of unbanked? I had Juliana as a co-founder. Then Bruna, another friend who was actually from the financial world, she joined the team as well part-time because she used to work for Santander. My recruiting for a CTO was actually fun. Uh, the first day that the app goes to the Apple Store and Google Play, there was this guy making like a comment saying, oh, it's a good idea, but the app to be good has to improve a lot. And I was like, man, this one day, you know, <laughs> but I, yeah. I Googled him and saw that he was a developer. So we reached out to him on LinkedIn and said, well, you know what? We know that idea is good. We know that it has to be better. By the way, we don't have a CTO. Do you want to come and join us? Blah, blah, blah. And he was there and he's now, uh, he became developer, CTO, partner. He made the exit with me, Renato, his name. But this was like the, the foundation of the team. Of course, many people joined us after all. But reaching out the unbanked and underbanked is actually really difficult. Those people are not uh, sometimes really connected, right? So mm. they have a smartphone, but sometimes not much connectivity or not much storage on the phone. So we had to, to actually go to the street. So we would partner with companies that were dealing with that personas, you know, so we would like B2B2C trying to reach them. It was actually easier to talk to one company that had like 5,000 employees or one association or cooperatives that have, you know. So that is how we, because I didn't have much money. I was bootstrapping all that saved money back on the old days, putting a loan on the business. Uh, so I had to figure out um, economic ways to grow. It's incredible for me because... We all have these things that we think, oh, why isn't somebody invented that? Or why doesn't this exist in my country? But it takes somebody with a lot of passion and a lot of bravery to kind of take it to the next level and say, I'm going to invest my savings and I'm going to invest my time, you know, 100% into making this happen. It's an incredible story. It is. And, you know, we used to say that ignorance is a blessing, right? Because... I would never, never say never, but it's very unlikely that at that time I would consider to build a new telecom operator, right? Because yeah. I was from the business and I knew how hard it was. And then you say, Stephanie, you're being naive because banking is probably worse, right? And of course it was, but I didn't know. So that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> ignorance was my, my perfect blessing because I didn't know how hard it was, how money consuming it was. So I just started, you know, and I said, well, then when you start to say, well, I already started now, I might as well make this work. <laughs> and as you said, it's not only about money because you're investing your time, and I was almost 38 now. So when I started, I was like 32. So 
it's like a really important phase of your life that you're actually mm. consolidating any career, right? And I dropped everything and I started. So this has to work, you know, I have no yeah. other option because if it doesn't work, I'll be like five years uh, behind people. Yeah. You know? It's also one thing that is too much pressure, you know, but because it's okay to fail. And I had put too much pressure on myself saying like, Oh, I will be a failure, you know, because my startup might bankrupt and everything. And people will look at me because especially in Brazil and of course, women, and we'll touch that afterwards. But in Brazil, different from US and here, like failure, it's doomed. But it shouldn't because we learn. It's really a, a thin line, you know, like dividing success and failure. But the amount of experience that you get, it's the same, you know, sometimes yeah. even more if you bankrupt. So it's a pressure that now if I decide in the future doing something, of course, I have, you can say, oh, but you have succeeded already. Yes, but then you have succeeded. The expectations that you don't fail is actually higher. I'm working on not having that pressure. How did it come to the point where Bits knew about you and wanted to buy your company? You know, the fact that I was uh, an outsider, it made me have to work on, on my name and PR. Me and my own PR, you know, like not, I didn't have the money to hire a PR agency or anything. So getting involved with the association was like really good. At the same time, I was working like double shifts, you know, and the fact that we were creating this thing and fintech in Brazil is really hot, but it's really hot right now, but it was being created. So anything that we would say, it was getting attention, right? So, So I was being interviewed by a lot of magazines, newspapers and everything. This was one strategy, consumed me a lot consumed uh, the company time a lot, but made us being visible since I was not the owner tech. So this was one strategy. It really worked. And the other one was uh, subscribing to uh, prizes, you know. So in Brazil, we had some in US. Bruna, when she left Santander, she went to Kellogg to be an MBA candidate. So all of the the competitions and everything, we were like subscribing and we were winning. So Kellogg, Wharton, Northwestern, uh, Visa. There was this Visa Prize in in Paris that we won from Brazil to represent Latin America in general. Uh, So it all gave us visibility, you know. So when Bradesco decided to have their own digital wallet, so a new brand to address some people that they were not addressing with uh, Bradesco brand and, and products, when they decided to launch a digital wallet, they said, well, we might as well acquire one and then go from there. So, of course, if you're visible and people are seeing what you're doing and you're doing it right, like Bradesco is really well known in Brazil as a company that like you have to have things straight. You don't have one single flaw, you know, and the fact that I had like a um, entrepreneur life before all the papers were okay, everything, all the numbers, the company was like, you know, really well managed on on all sides of it. That made us uh, the, the perfect option for them. And that's what happened. But like one year negotiation, really hard. It was written. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. They kept you on because they wanted to keep that presence because you have established yourself as, you know, a a person very visible in the fintech space. Yes. There's a lot of things, right? For a company like uh, Bradesco, there are a lot of things um, involved in that kind of acquisition, right? So it's it's part of innovation, leadership, like women, uh, know-how. So we were like five years on the business already. So it's acquiring the team as well. So you you jump on the the learning curve. I, I was with Jingjing on point of sailing up. Right. So, of course, uh, our decision as well to sell and we, we sold 100 percent 
okay, this is really, it's not ignorance anymore. Now we know that it's very cash burn business. We were going through an investment round. Either we went big or we went home. And to go big, it would be faster, of course, if we plugged into one of the biggest banks in, in, in Latam. During the negotiations, because it would last long and they would have to launch, we know that it wouldn't be called Jinjin anymore. We know that it wouldn't be green anymore. It will be like black and pink. It's a decision to leave your son behind and, and embrace <laughs> another, another one, you know. It's a tough one, but like it, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a bit of ego and it's okay to be. You, mm -hmm. that we, we built it. So, of course. But then again, like the passion behind is to see people using it made us sell. Yeah, let's go. And we are now like two, almost two million users and going up. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a really good journey as well. Letting go of what is effectively like your child <laughs> to, <laughs> to somebody else. And, and it's, a, it's a very difficult step. You, you nurture the company. Every decision you make is going to influence how that, that, that company is perceived in the market. So very big step. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges in fintech right now? You know, one thing that I used to say is that the telecom operators should have been the first fintechs in the world because <laughs> they already had the base of clients and the big ones and data about them and everything. So actually, and the, the challenge is actually having those big base of customers, having them using on a recurrent basis, just like they use their phones. And also like in Brazil, we had like a boom of fintech, not only in Brazil, but in Brazil, it's been like too much. The trend is like to reduce by making either acquisitions or mergers uh, between fintechs themselves or between like retailers that a lot, there are a lot of retailers actually acquiring fintechs or becoming fintechs, right? With the yeah. banking as a services, the fintech as a services, and there's actually one trend that are bringing those two worlds together, which I think it's amazing. There are a lot of fintechs that are, are betting on the MVNOs here in Brazil, at least. So you see actually retailers and banks or fintechs trying to, to touch that world uh, of, of telecom uh, integrated and other way around as well. I know the team has partnered with the a big digital bank here and using their expertise on selling prepaid cards and, and, and an account and everything. And it's been really well recognized and really successful. The, it's, it's a big challenge. The MVNOs on those haven't had like one big case, but maybe there's still a way to do it, you know. Yeah, I was recently interviewing uh, Wangeshi Kanjama from the Safaricom in Kenya. And obviously she started in Safaricom and they went on to create the M-Pesa business, which is alongside Vodacom Group. And it's amazing what it has done in that particular region to help the unbanked. Yes, yes. Yeah, and the fact that when you have like big companies like big telecom operators and you already trust them with your phone, which is like almost uh, an extension of our bodies, right? Yeah. Um, if they offer you something, you, you are inclined to trust that that mm. work, right? Yeah, there are a lot of, of uh, still a lot of things to do. Like even if there's a boom of fintechs here, there are a lot of problems. Yeah, there are not a lot of integrations, even like sending money abroad, right? Uh, mm. You have like Bitcoin, but still, if someone doesn't want to use Bitcoin, like how would you just transfer money, right? If I want to pay mm. you something. So, and this is, of course, there are solutions, but they're still not global and on a day-to-day -day, uh, thing, just like calling someone, right? Yeah. So. I, yeah, I'm kind of experiencing this right now because being British and not being part of the EU anymore. <laughs> we have all these complex uh, fees according to sending between the UK and, and Europe now. And it's, it's, it's a minefield. So it's really hard to, to get a, a handle on. 
Yes. yes. But we're, we're touching on the, the bigger topic, which is that since we were working in GSMA together all those years ago, there's been a huge movement in digital transformation and it's coming partly from telecoms, partly from tech in, in general. What do you think is the response to this digital transformation in Brazil? You know, Jason, for me, digital transformation is less about tech and more about people. And I think uh, COVID, with all the harm that spread out in the whole world, everybody suffered uh, what it happened, right? But at the same time, we all recognize the impact that might bring positive things in our lives. And I read one thing that Sacha from Microsoft said, I quote, caring is the new currency. When you care about people, people care about companies and then they make transformation. You know, this for me is like the, the link. And here people would say, oh, let's just put an innovation, a new area in the company. And that's that. And that's not about that. Right. It's about how you understand people as employees, how you understand people as customers, how you understand their journey, right? How they are buying, how they're consuming services and, and everything is changing. All those things we read is just so true. And here, are the, the, the big challenge is, is now how to overcome this post-COVID understanding the the hybrid the the presential the the home office and yeah. the impact on every market really the, the e-commerce was of course big but there are a lot of people that wouldn't buy online so it advances in like five ten years time in in one two months right for you have to buy online otherwise you won't even eat. And the other thing that actually mo much more important is education. Being able to learn online, not as an exception, but as a rule, it changes everything. When you go to the, the lower income classes, they only have one phone sometimes. They don't have laptop. They don't have internet. The food their kids were eating was at the schools for free. And now everybody is at home. So And this is actually something that I have been thinking a lot, like as in the future, like as next steps, putting my hands on something to see if I can make a difference in, in that, because the whole world is, is watching the, the new careers, right? The right. AI, the big data and the software engineers and everything. But if US and UK are suffering, what would you say about LATAM? We don't have, so we have to form them now. Uh, otherwise, we'll be like far away from all the innovation that we can touch. I was at a conference this week, as I mentioned to you briefly, and there was a session on LATAM. It started out that one of the gentlemen on the session, he, he started saying, you know, one of my biggest problems in doing business internationally is that people don't actually know where countries are in LATAM. They don't know. They know Argentina, they know Brazil, but that's it. Yeah, they're probably getting to know because they're starting to hire people from LATAM. So you mm. probably get a, a Estonia hiring a Venezuelan software engineering, you know, yeah. which is like amazing for many perspectives because that guy would never receive like that much money earning in US dollars But at the same time, the, the connectivity and that side of it, like, okay, Venezuela exists and, and Colombia and Bolivia and, you know, it's not only about Brazil and Argentina, right? Moving on to one of the most important topics, which is close to my heart because I've had a lot of friends in the industry who have been women. They come to the industry knowing that boys do tech and girls do other things. Is that something that you have experienced? Because your journey is pretty unique and I would say that you have overcome a lot of those challenges. At the beginning, like being on the telecom business, uh, as many others back in the days, it's been, what, almost 20 years, right? So all the markets, you would say, that were very masculine. Then again, in telecom, much more. 
I, of course, I, I would only realize uh, on the conferences, on the events, and you are the only one with skirt or you are the only one with long hair, then you realize you're not wearing suit. I said, well, it's like I'm in like Ocean's Eleven kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it took me some time to, to see some problems, some issues, some little issues. I never face like, oh, during telecom no sexual harassment or anything but of course you, you, you put a, a drink here and there to some people and they would try to cross a line which of course can be uh, related but not strong I was always uh, um, trying to convince myself that that was actually not happening which mm. I think many women do like we know that that was like a, a hint and we don't want to admit and then we we just make a joke out of it or anything to try to get out of whatever was trying to happen there and then i got older and i then and i could see those things in a way that okay i cannot allow this kind of thing to happen i don't have to use uh, the fun the sweet the you know side of it i have to, to impose myself and and respond to things right Tech is really masculine. Financial markets are really masculine as well. I don't know. I was so convinced that I was doing whatever I was doing that uh, I was not paying actually attention to those things again. You know, I was always very well prepared on the subject that I was treating. You know, so if I'm treating with a supplier and I want a price and everything so I was focused there I had the meeting prepared I had all the facts the numbers and I was getting the job done and leaving the fact that you don't leave room or space for anything to happen and, and then they actually respect that you're so prepared study prepare and get things done it's, it's it fills the room you know so any advice that you would give to women who feel they maybe don't get the opportunities in the tech or telecom space? Uh, well, create your own, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I know it's not that easy, but uh, yeah, you can always, uh, you know, start your own thing. And again, studying, I, I was completely outside of everything and I could only do it because I studied a lot and because I networked a lot. The, the roaming thing really made me as a networker, you know, you had to and not only you had to, it was really fun to, to roam around with all you guys. But it, it's all about networking and relationships, right? So one thing that I, I, I learned when reading the biography of Mr. Sir uh, Richard Branson was, if you're given an opportunity, take it and then you learn. And this has actually um, guided my whole existence, you know. And it's not that people gave me an opportunity. I invented the opportunity and, and, and took it. But on the way, I had some people that gave me some opportunities like by like wanting and trusting to buy my solution. And I was actually not ready. I had to build the solution I was selling at, at the same time, you know. So trust yourself that you can do it. You're not born a director. You're not born a CEO. You become, right? You mm -hmm. learn. So that's why I say always rely on learning. And people say I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I am a serial learner, you know. As a successful entrepreneur, what is a piece of advice that you would give to someone who's starting out? If you want to start something new, one thing that I did so much, not only before starting uh, my fintech, but during, and I still do it now, is look whatever is happening in the whole world. You know, I used to research a lot because as we're saying, sometimes innovation comes from something new but most of the times it's not like sometimes winner takes all but in that country or continent because you need the same service uh, somewhere else right so you have the food deliveries you have the digital banks you have the the rides right maybe you already have something in your country but you can do it another way that the other side of the world is doing so those researches are really important and to build or to even like sell uh, as a consulting, you know, 
So if your expertise in knowing uh, whatever is uh, working somewhere in the world or the new way of selling, I spend like two hours a day reading and researching at least two hours every day of my schedule, mainly like 7 a.m. or 10 p.m., whatever is happening like in the corner of my house or in Taiwan or, you know, Singapore or anywhere. We should be masters of nothing. We should be always learning. We should be always developing our skills. And networking. 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 Absolutely. Hugely important. What would you say is the best resource for people who say they want to dive deeper into the fintech world? I think the, the local associations, they are full of information, you know, and go on LinkedIn, search for the association, search whoever is managing the associations. Uh, be connected to like important players, you know. So I would definitely say that if I want to go and talk to uh, fintech in Spain, I would definitely look for the fin- the, the, the Spanish fintech association, you know, and goes uh, all around the world. So and they will know the websites you read, people to follow on LinkedIn to see whatever is happening. So I, I would go that way. Great advice. My last question, what new idea are you going to come up with <laughs> and how are you going to take it forward? I think I need to go to a Halloween party and get lost again. <laughs> but <laughs> um, once you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're always right. Advising also on education. I really think that uh, I have to study to see if there's something that's not being done which is probably there is uh, new things to do. I have gone to, to Silicon Valley like four years ago to get to know all the new educations that they're doing right there, like the 42 University, the Draper University. and Because we know the problem with education, but when you deep dive, then you get to know the real problems, right? And then try to solve one of them, but not... not uh, necessarily founding a new company, maybe, you know, joining and trying to help. Then again, maybe advising or investing and being, being close. Uh, that, that's uh, on my, my mind lately. That's absolutely great. Thank you, Stephanie. And uh, just to say that we have invited you to be on the panel for Rocker 100, which is our research study, which is focused on identifying influential people, especially in the last couple of years. So thankful that you're you're willing to be a, a panelist there and to review the nominations that we've received. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, for inviting. It's, it's like I told you this once and I repeat it now. It's a real honor and a gift. Really, really thank you for me. It will be a great opportunity to touch back with uh, people, industry and, and everything. Thank you again. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely weekend in Brazil. You too, you too. Keep in touch. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look out for more in the Well Connected series coming soon. This year, from the 16th to the 18th of May, Rocco will host our annual innovation event, Genesis. This year, the event is live and includes our Road to 2030 symposium. Lions Den, where industry vendors will present their latest innovations to the MNO Lions. The Rocco 100 Top 25 will also receive their awards at the Visionaries Gala. There will be training, networking time, and a chance to catch up with old friends. We hope to see you at the event, so we can all get back to doing what we do best. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan, and you've been listening to Well Connected from Rocco Radio.